Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Southwest Side Stories. Uh, this is Dixon. I'm here with Jose. Um, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Excited for the second episode. I just got back from uh, an excursion here in the neighborhood with uh, our friends from the Divi Bike Share Program and the Chicago Department of Transportation. Uh, and that was fun. Just wanted to share that with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've done a couple of forums with them because they're planning to expand throughout the southwest side uh, and the northwest side. That's great, but we're mostly concerned with the southwest side. Um, and yeah, they've got. Uh, uh, a fairly detailed map now of where they want to put stations. So I joined them for an outing on 47th Street to look at two particular locations that they're they're planning. Um, we went in and talked to some of the businesses that were there. Uh, we talked to one of the schools that was there. Um, we looked at the condition of the streets and where uh, logistically stations could be put. Um, they had kind of created this from Google Maps and Street View, and now they're, you know, on the ground. But it was nice to be invited out to be able to provide some feedback as someone who, who lives in the area. So that was pretty cool. I also just want to say it's really awesome of you to be part of these um, councils because, like, we're, there is no biking infrastructure on the southwest side. This is not a biking-friendly community space for miles and miles and miles and miles of Chicago. So like you actually figuring out which streets are better and which need work and stuff like that. Like nobody did that. So good on you, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, I'm happy to do it and you're right. Um, you know, we could use more biking infrastructure on the Southwest side and biking infrastructure makes things safer for pedestrians. Uh, I think makes mm -hmm. things better for cars as well if you have safe streets. Um, I drive, I ride my bike, I walk. Uh, I want all of those to be safe, so. Yeah, what you call it? Um, there's a, like a theory in urban planning that like the more bike friendly you make a city, logistically the, the, the work that goes into it, you make it safer. Um, you know, you have to do more than just pave, you know, bike lanes along Ogden and Western Avenue and call it a win, like, you know, uh, maybe some people have done, but uh, like making a safe biking community makes it so that, you know, the walkable community uh, monitors itself, which is always what we're striving for, right? Yeah. 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 And we know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, truck traffic on 47th. We know there are stretches of 47th where, um, you know, cars can go fairly fast. Um, it's interesting not to get too much into the weeds, but one of the stations that they were proposing was on the corner of 47th and Costner. And if you're familiar with that intersection, you know, there's a fair number of car crashes there. Um, you know, just judging by the debris that we see on the street, uh, this is something that someone brought up when we did our forum the other week, we did an online forum with them. And uh, this was someone else who lives in the neighborhood and they said, you know, that's not a great intersection because, you know, people come through, there's a good distance between the previous streetlight, which is at Knox and mm -hmm. Costner. And it seems like cars either have a head of speed and they're trying to make the light, you know, so they'll speed up. Mm -hmm. um, or, and I've seen this, 
you know, there's two lanes of traffic at that point and someone might be slowing down in the left lane and someone behind them veers into the right lane to try to make that light. Um, so that's not great for safety, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can make some improvements, put some divvy stations in places where they make sense um, and serve the community. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what the, uh, what the expansion looks like and how they incorporate our feedback. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, on that note, you know, I, I really wanted to just hammer in like the second interview is going to be kind of a bit of a personal one, but I think it's, it's an appropriate one because like, you know, there's not a lot of civic. It, it's funny because the Southwest side has a lot of civically minded people, you know, that, that think of these things and work on these things. But like, as far as drawing attention to it or getting more of the public involved or, or really just like trying to make it a collective effort, is not done until quite recently. And, and I, I do attribute a lot of that to to yourself and, and to Jamie. Um, you know, even before uh, SWC got started, um, you know, I, I worked with you guys lightly on a couple of things you guys organized in the neighborhood, um, forums for people to speak to at, at, uh, at Zoe's patio and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to pick up on that. What, you know, what made you want to really focus on this part of town? to fix up well i mean we live here um so that's that's uh that's the first and foremost you know this is our our community um but you know you mentioned jamie and jamie is uh the founder uh, and president of southwest collective um jamie and i are also married um so this will be uh, an easy interview for for me to schedule um we'll probably sit down in our kitchen or something like that um, but yeah, she's got a really exciting and, and compelling story to tell. I think, I know I'm biased, but, uh, you know, hopefully people listening to this will agree. Um, you know, we've lived in the neighborhood for, um, 11 years now, and we've lived on the Southwest side. We used to live in McKinley park, um, for a little bit more than that. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to hear her talk about, you know, her story, putting down roots in this community. Um, you know, we're here for the long haul and we want to see um, this community be its best and the entire Southwest side be its best. And I think she's also got a really compelling story to tell about, um, you know, not just being in your neighborhood, but seeing the Southwest side as an entire region. of We have a lot of physical barriers between neighborhoods uh, mm -hmm. you know we've got freight tracks we've got streets that don't go, go through um, we've got the sanitarian ship canal and i-55 and all that uh, we've got a lot of industry but you know there's also you know barriers of like well that's that's that neighborhood over there you know even though it's right next door so i think um, she's going to go a lot into that and a lot of what she's experienced both in Archer Heights where we live and then, you know, going to uh, neighborhoods that are, you know, like I said, right next door and where we've got a lot in common and, and where we can make common cause. And obviously she's been doing incredible work for the last two years plus uh, to try to make that happen. So I, I'm excited to, to share that story with everybody. This is a little weird for me because 
I'm the founder of the collective, and this is a collective podcast. So it feels odd, but folks insisted that I do this. So here I am. Um, I am the one who started the collective in my basement. And um, the reason that we started it in 2019 was because there were a lot of groups in the area, but we just felt like they weren't tackling the, the root causes of the problems that everybody's complaining about, right? So when you talk about like lack of green spaces, or you talk about lack of after school programming, you talk about the rise in crime or the, the issues around gangs tagging everything around here. So like, how do we combat those problems? Like we can continue to report them to the police and, you know, do what you do when you own a house and that's, you know, call the police and tell them, Hey, my garage got tagged or whatever, but it doesn't prevent it from happening again. So what do you do on like a community level where you can start to prevent these things from repeating themselves? Um, and so that's how we kind of got started as a group. There were maybe like 10 or 15 of us that really tackled a couple of different, what we were calling pillars. It was like public safety, um, green spaces and placemaking, um, parents, seniors, um, youth engagement. How do we reach all of these different groups of people and get them to talk to each other and basically break down barriers that prevented them from communicating before, whether it was linguistic or it was economic or it was something else entirely, but be sort of the glue that sticks people together and, and helps them meet each other and support each other. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. All right. So root causes and problems that exist in the community that we want to address. I want to get back to that mm -hmm. later, but, you know, maybe we could take it way back in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, you first coming to the Southwest side, us first coming to the Southwest side. Mm -hmm. Um, and just tell me, you know, your impressions of this region of the city um, and what you think people ought to know about the Southwest side. Because sometimes it's kind of invisible when we talk about Chicago. We talk about Northwest, South, but the fine distinctions kind of get uh, lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it is a really great point to make. Um, particularly when we hear like the mayor talk about Invest Southwest. It talks about the South and it talks about the West. Somehow it just completely skates past the Southwest side. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but it, it, we do get the short end of the stick a lot. And I say that as someone who has lived on the Southwest side, first in McKinley Park and then here in Archer Heights for the last 15 or so years. Um, and before that, I was from the Southwest suburbs. So it's very similar. Um, there's a lot more space in like a Bolingbrook or a Lockport, but the same problems persist, you know. Um, there's crime, there's a lack of access to things, there's a lack of, you know, disposable income and things like that. And you just sort of, you see the same things over and over again. And it's like, there has to be something that you could do on a regional level to start supporting people and helping them out of the hole, basically. Um, whether that's, I don't know anyone in this area, whether that's, I, my kid needs some special help, um, or someplace to go after school, or I don't know any other parents, or, you know, my kids don't live in the state and I don't know who to reach out to for help. Um, but all of those things, um, it, there should be somebody around the neighborhood who can help you out with that, that you don't have to, you know, go and apply for help and wait for it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with all that said, it just, it feels like a lot of those kinds of resources where you would go and apply are missing or they don't extend that far. Um, which is weird to me because we have a huge airport right here. And it's such a dense population of homeowners. I mean, you're talking about very little rental stock and a lot of people who dig in and buy the house and pay the property taxes and really 
work hard to keep their lawns beautiful and know who their neighbors are and things like this. And it just feels like they, on a collective level, everybody deserves that base level of support. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about, uh, you, we are here in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first moved into the neighborhood, like you said, we'd been living in McKinley Park for a few years. We were kind of familiar with Archer Heights. Yeah, we did uh, our grocery shopping here. Yeah, stuff. we would come to Pete's and things like that. But we didn't spend a whole lot of time in the neighborhood. And do you remember, you know, when we first came to look at this house um, and we're just driving around the neighborhood, like what were your first impressions? And then what were your impressions once we had been here for, you know, a little while? Gosh, I have to really go in the way back machine for this. But um, when we first looked at this house, the people who owned it were really kind. And um, they insisted on being home when we came to look, which I was kind of like, why? Um, but then I understood, like, they wanted to see who was going to be taking over the house, and they wanted to let us know, like, here's who your neighbors will be, and they're really kind people, and you're coming into a block that really cares. And, like, I had never seen that before. Like, suburbs don't do that stuff. And, like, <laughs> even in McKinley, like, I knew some of the people on my block, but not on that level. Not at all. Like, I knew first names of, like, my two next-door neighbors, and that was kind of it. So to come here and see that people cared that much about their blog, it really was inspiring. And I'll remember like one other anecdote was about like two or three years after we moved in, I got mugged um, while I was walking home from the bus by, it was like two blocks from the house. And I remember like just feeling a need to go and knock on everybody's door and let them know, hey, this happened to me. It was this time of night. You know, it wasn't like late either. It was like 730. So I wanted to make sure everybody knew in case their kids were walking home alone. Um, and it was welcomed information. And so from then on, you know, we all started like taking down each other's phone numbers. Hey, are you walking home from the train? Do you need a ride? Texting each other to see if each other's kids were going to be getting home late. And it really opened up a dialogue. Um, and I wasn't expecting that either. And that was another reason that I just felt like I wanted to give something back to this community that welcomed us and took us in and really, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm Verklempt. I love everybody here. It's yeah. a fact. I love Keeler. It's a great block. Well, we, we got a lot of, um, without naming names, we got a very nice uh, letter in our mailbox, I think a couple of days after we moved in from yeah. one of our neighbors um, with their contact information and reaching out to us. And we had people knocking on our doors. So yes, the, the, the neighborhood feel of the Southwest right. side. And I want to say something about that great. too. Like this might be an anomaly. I'm, we might have just lucked out and gotten a really good block. Um, I'm looking forward to our first ever block party, frankly. Um, never had one. But um, we don't have a block club. Our neighborhood does not have a block club. We just know each other. Like, we've made it a point that if somebody's sitting out in the backyard, at least come out and say hello. You don't have to sit there all night, but say hello. Know the basics about your neighbors, like their names, their kids' names, if they have pets. Because if their pets get out, you know that's their pet. Mm-hmm. You can help them get it back in the yard. Um, but it's so it's so simple, and it really doesn't have to be like a whole thing where you have a block club and you meet monthly and stuff. Just knowing everyone on your block, walking up and down after dinner and just waving to people when they sit out, it goes a long way. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I had an experience today, not to get too off topic, but, you know, today I had posted something in a neighborhood group and, you know, it, it's a definite issue around here where when you report something so that people have the knowledge, it's, you know, oh, calm down, mind your business. I absolutely hate that phrase. Mind your business is the kind of thing 
that creates problems in a neighborhood and it prevents people from getting to know each other. Like if I hear people say, mind your business, I'm guessing that when I wave to you from your stoop, you're not going to wave back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That creates an unfriendliness that then invites a problem. And so that's one of the big barriers that the collective tries to break down is making it accessible to get to know people in a public setting where you don't have to give out too much of your personal information, mm-hmm. but you do need to meet your neighbors and you do need to, you know, not just mind your business, but mind their business. You're in a public setting, get to know who's there, understand who's around you and, you know, who could be an ally, who can be a friend, who can be a neighbor. Yeah. Um, and stop looking at everyone like they're out to get you because they're not. Yeah. Most of the time, everybody in your neighborhood on your block ends up being kind of cool. You just have to give them a chance. Right. And it's a fine line, too, because it's like, you know, we want what happens in the public spaces in our neighborhood and in our city to be everybody's business and yeah. for everybody to be invested in, you know, uh, resources upkeep coming to the neighborhood. And like, I, you know, one of the big things that we do is the libraries. We put those boxes in the parks for a reason, and it's because we want, of course, we want kids to enjoy it. That's the funnest part. Um, we love putting the gifts and the trinkets and things in there. We love shopping for them, too. No lie. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for us to just, you know, kind of hang out in the park with our own kids and watch people run over to the box and go, oh, my God, there's new stuff in there. It's free. Mm-hmm. They love that. And the parents come over and check it out, too, and there's stuff in there for you guys, too. Um, but that's one of those things where it's like, if everybody's crowding around the box, now the kids are meeting each other. Now the parents are meeting each other. That's great. All of y'all go to the same park. Now, you know who you can send your kids over to, you know, you know, whose kids are playing with my kid. You don't have to worry so much about watching them all the time when they're out on the block Yeah. because you know, everybody in the vicinity of your house. And that's really what this group is about is creating that kind of camaraderie i guess well and it's like wanting public space to be a safe space and a welcoming space and i think we're also aware you know the the whole mind your business mentality i think part of that is also that like you know public space is uh, your business because you're the public (laughs) public space is your business but public space also like has not always been welcoming Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes the 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 powers that be oh, yeah. make it unwelcoming. So, you know, we see that in our neighborhood, I think mostly through lack of resources. Point. But talk about, you know, once you had been in the neighborhood for a number of years and you started to see, you know, notice some things that you would like to see improved, um, mm-hmm. you know, what was coming to your attention after you'd been here for a while? You know, one of the things that always bugged me about this area, and it's not necessarily to bug me, I just wish we had it, you know what I mean? Um, I wish we had some kind of a community center or some place that kids could go hang out on the weekends because, like, it's gorgeous outside right now. I'm not going to lie. It's July. It's beautiful. Everybody's at the park. But let's talk about, like, January and February when we're all, like, dying to get our kids into some kind of program and get them out of the house. Um, I just, I notice the, you know, my neighbors tearing their hair out. Like, what am I going to do with my kids on winter break? What am I going to do with them on summer break? The park districts do wonderful work with summer camps, but their camps fill up so damn fast. And you hear it, it, you know, we hear it all the time at freebies about like, oh, my kids didn't, I didn't make the cutoff. I just, the server kept crashing. I couldn't mm-hmm. sign up the kids for summer camp. Um, there's just a real lack of like places for kids to hang out, um, during the summer, on breaks, after school even, if they're not in an extracurricular, if that's not their cup of tea, then, you know, what are they doing? Um, and that's that's really frustrating to me because, like, 
growing up, it was the same issue. And we got into some dumb stuff because we didn't have something better to do, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are feeling very isolated. And even pre-pandemic, that was an issue, you know, where people were feeling very isolated because they didn't have a support network. They didn't have a place... You know, outside of schools and churches, we don't have a lot of support systems that are just general. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really what needs to happen. Like, as adults, that's how we meet, make friends and meet people. And that's mm-hmm. how our kids do it, too. So that the isolation is kind of an interesting point. And this is a completely apart from the pandemic. Yeah. But, you know, I know that one of the things that's that you've always been interested in is having neighborhoods on the southwest side which tend to be kind of in their own bubble, yes. make common cause together. And we've got a lot of physical barriers between neighborhoods. We've got industrial parks, we've got freight lines, we've got streets that don't go through. Yes. But talk to me about envisioning the collective to be a group that was not just tied to one particular neighborhood, but that was inclusive of the entire Southwest side. Ah, thank you for bringing this up. So this is a big deal too, because as we're all parceled out into these little neighborhood boxes, we don't talk to each other. Um, and we don't share resources. So like, let's say, I don't know, West Elsdon gets something right. And then Archer Heights just on the other side of the orange line tracks is like, how come they got to fill in the blank here? Mm-hmm. And we didn't, you know, it, it, instead of having that mentality, it's how can we share this? Like, what's the program that both neighborhoods can can use in that park? Is there a summer camp that covers more than one park area or covers more than one neighborhood or covers more than one school system? It just feels like everything is very much like, well, that you're not from here because you don't live X, Y, Z. And it, it's just, it's real territorial and weird to me um, because the city is the city. We all pay into the property taxes in the city level, not at like an Archer Heights level or Garfield Bridge level or Gage Park level. Right. Your property taxes go into a huge bucket that covers the whole city. So this thought that like, because you live here, you have to, you know, have these resources is kind of bogus to me because everybody's paying into the big bucket, but we're all getting these tiny little buckets back. Um, and it just seems unfair. Like if we put that big old bucket for the Southwest side together, maybe we could have those resources that we're missing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can start advocating for them at the city hall level. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, we have to know each other and we have to understand what the needs are in each area. Are they the same? Are they different? Um, where's the common ground and how do we then organize around that? Yeah. But we can't do any of that stuff until we know each other. And if there was a community center in Archer Heights or Gage Park or somewhere along Archer, wherever, it would be accessible to the entire southwest side and not just that neighborhood so yeah and i think uh, you know here in particular we tend to rely on the school systems and the churches to really connect us to community but not everybody in your neighborhood necessarily goes to school in the community you know a lot of people go outside the zip code or even this side of the city to go to school because they want the good school right and that's a whole other conversation Mm-hmm. that parents tend to have in those groups with us. Um, we hear a lot of, well, you know, there's some good schools around here, but they're hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I'd rather go up north because I feel like the general schools are better up there. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to register up there or whatever. Or I'm going to get in a lottery up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it becomes this thing where, you know, we've just accepted that we don't have the resources we need and we follow the resources instead of demanding that the resources be brought to us, which is necessary. You know, we are a large 
group of people with families that are growing and putting down roots here as well. Mm-hmm. And like it's time that we let the city know, hey, you keep forgetting about us. We keep paying the same taxes as everyone else, but we're not getting anything except more factories over here. Mm-hmm. more big chains and things like that. We're not getting like a vibrant main street. We're not getting use out of these vacant lots that are just, you know, hot asphalt all the time. <laughs> like, we have a lot of dead space that's not usable or that isn't being used. And that's mm-hmm. a problem too. And all of these spaces could be reimagined to create that sense of community, to allow people to, you know, break down those barriers themselves instead of having us do it. Um, And honestly, that's part of it, too. It's just we have to have a way for people to be able to socialize with each other comfortably Mm -hmm. within their own neighborhoods. Yeah. All right. So take me back Mm -hmm. to early 2019 when the collective was first started. Uh, We had a meeting in our basement Mm -hmm. right right over there. Sure did. Um, And... What was it like preparing for that meeting and what were you envisioning when you were thinking? Because the the title at the beginning was just something new. Yeah, right? yeah, it didn't have a name yet. So what were you thinking at that very early stage? Uh, you know, I really wasn't thinking much. <laughs> as silly as it sounds to say, I was really just thinking like, let me see how many people there are who, who are thinking this way. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if... I'm totally off base or if I'm right on the money and let me get some feedback from people. And that was really what it was about was understanding, like, if I feel like there's a need, maybe there is. Um, Mm -hmm. But asking other folks to see if they felt the same way. Yeah. And then what kind of, I mean, I remember this meeting, but share what the meeting was like. And then those first, you know, few weeks and few months of getting this off the ground, what were you hearing from people as uh, the collective started in earnest? You know, it's so interesting, and this has evolved to be more so the case now, um, but people like to uh, parrot what they hear on Facebook. Um, so I I would hear a lot of the things that I had seen in the neighborhood groups. So I'm in, I'm in quite a few of the neighborhood groups, and it's mostly so that I can let people know, you know, hey, we restocked the books at this park or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just, you know, help people coalesce around something so that it doesn't always have to be like our very scrappy team of volunteers doing everything. Like if you have a box of books, go put it in the library, please. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we don't have to do it. You can do it. Um, But it's reasons like that, that I'm in those groups. And so every once in a while I'll catch a a conversation that feels interesting. So I'll jump in and I'll just read the comments and stuff. And I hear the same things all the time. You know, people complain about um, the lack of good places to get together. Um, They complain about just the general lack of space there's a lot of issues with parking around the orange line and yeah, it does suck to park around Archer. It's a nightmare. Um, I heard a lot about like public safety concerns, you know, like a lot of graffiti and tagging concerns and you know, Oh, these kids and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, those are our kids, not these kids, our kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> our kids. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's just, there's a lot of like, I'm concerned about what I don't understand and I'm worried about, this group of people or what I think is this group of people. And there's just so much like ambiguity around what people were really concerned about. It was hard to get them to like dig a level deeper and tell me exactly what the problem was. And so that was kind of what the first six months were about. It was, you know, meeting people at like Starbucks or Decaloris or anywhere for a cup of coffee and just hearing from them, like, what are your concerns? And I felt like talking to people one-on-one was easier because they were a little more comfortable opening up. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and we had some fits and starts those first six months. Like we, we had a board and, you know, some people said, you know what, it's getting too big. I can't, um, I don't know what this is going to be, or it's still too loose for me. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing with things like this. Um, when you try to organize, you're not really sure what it is yet. You just know that you're trying to do something, but you don't know what that group will become. You just know what you want to accomplish with that group. It's, it's splitting hairs, but it's important to do that because there's a lot of those fits and starts and it feels like this might not happen or, you know, I don't know what this group is. It's weird. But those are the kinds of things that you want to jump on because the sooner that a dedicated group gets around it and can start pulling it up from all these different ends, it becomes a thing. And that's why I feel very lucky and blessed to have the board that we do because everybody has taken on their own cause. Like, Enrique does a lot of work in the neighborhood to make sure that people have PEBT benefits um, and to answer any of their questions. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a lot of like gap bridging between other groups with like N4EJ or ITP, and he makes sure he's sharing that info with us so that if it's a problem for them, it might be a problem for us too. Like, let's take a look at that. You're heading up the bike group, which is doing really well, and people really like that. Um, Rolando is doing a great job with green spaces. Adriana and Nicole are doing wonderful things with freebies, like on and on and on. Um, but it's because we're able to all like choose a thing and do it and do it really well that this group succeeds, I think, the way that it has, because there's not one person running the show. It's many people. And I've said that from the beginning, it's called the collective because it truly is a collective of people, a collective of interests, um, a collective of ages, backgrounds, um, experiences, perspectives. Um, and that's, key and important because if it becomes too much one person's thing then it's really only serving that person Mm -hmm. you know um and that's why i'm adamant about it being a collective and about everything being very orderly and put up to votes and things like that but then the cadence of the meetings is very casual and welcoming and it doesn't feel very structured but that's because that structure is happening behind the scenes yeah if that makes sense so somebody is watching this somebody hears about the collective on social media or their friend tells them about it or however they hear about us and they're like oh i want to get involved i have an idea for something i'd like to see in the neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, people come to us with that periodically and 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 we love that but you know, how do you want people to engage with the collective if they're new to uh, to what we're doing? Great question. So I love the ideas. We all love ideas. Ideas are great. Um, but ideas are only ideas. It takes a lot of work to make them a reality. Like, let me give you an example. So for freebies, that is a major undertaking every month. And like this past Saturday, it was over 100 degrees outside. It was hot as hell outside. And you should say what Freebies is in case people don't know. Oh, yeah. So Freebies for Families is our monthly event. Um, We hold it on the fourth Saturday of every month. And it's in memory of Marlene Ochoa Lopez, who was murdered trying to get free baby clothes. When the parent group heard about that, we freaked out because we all do that, too. We go to Facebook you know, we connect on Facebook and go grab free stuff from each other and don't think twice about where we're going. Um, so when that news came out, we were like, oh, it's horrible. I like the fact that it even happened is awful enough, but then the fact that, you know, the baby passed too, and then the dad and the older boy are still around and it's like, oh man, all that just because she needed some free clothes. Like it should be easy enough to connect people with free resources. And so that's how it came about. So now every fourth Saturday of the month for the last two years, um, 
we've been putting out donations that we get from people in the neighborhood. The safe thing to do is to drop them with us. We come pick them up. You put them on your stoop. We pick it up. And then on that event day, we lay everything out and people who need it just come and get it in a public space that is free and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing that is a lot of work. Like I want you all to picture picking up donations from people like that's a whole day in and of itself, just driving around and picking up donations and then sorting those donations and finding storage for those donations, finding a space to have the event um, and then dealing with any fallout from that space. So like some of the spaces that we do, we have to have liability insurance. Um, or we have to figure out where we're going to put things afterward because then they have to conduct business, for example. So there's a lot to put into these events. So everything that you add creates another layer of work for someone. And when you're a volunteer group like us, that's all free time for us. So coming to us with an idea is great. We would really appreciate it if you had a group of volunteers ready to help you with the idea. And we're happy to connect you to an aldermanic office or you know, provide a vaccine bus for an event that you want to do or any of these things or just brainstorm with you. Um, but what we need from you to do is to lead it and to be the point person for it because the collective, like we're already doing a lot of stuff and it's already like getting kind of wild. Um, and as we ramp up, we're only going to get busier. So if you have an idea, great, bring it to us. We'll help you make it strong. We'll help you figure out how to execute it but you're going to have to do the legwork and you're going to have to bring a team of volunteers with you. Yeah. And it, we have existing programs that people can volunteer with if oh, they're yeah. so inclined. But yeah, in terms of ideas, we, we definitely want people to bring ideas yes. to us. Um, but and, bring the ambition too. please bring the energy to build it. Yes. <laughs> please. Yes. I'm begging you. There's like a handbook of phrases that I hate. And at the top of it is mind your business. But then right below it is that's not the way we do things or it's always been done that way. That drives me bonkers because, Mm. okay, it's always been done that way. So let's do it a different way. Well, that's not the way we do things. Well, it is now. Like there are no rules except for the ones you impose on yourself. Um, So the thought that something has always been this way doesn't mean that that's always the way it has to be. You know what I mean? Like, that's the whole reason this group exists. It's not the way that people do things. They usually form a neighborhood watch or a civic association or they just join one. We decided that we were going to start something a little different that, you know, is more strategic and tackles root causes of problems and is really about planning and longer term solutions. So that didn't exist before, but it does now. There's nothing saying it can't. All right. So speaking of taking a, 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 a radical turn and uh, things changing up uh, just like that. Mm-hmm. About a year after uh, yes. the collective started, <laughs> the COVID-19 pandemic started. Well, that was fun. And, you know, we had to adjust to that. We all had to adjust to that. But yeah. in terms of the collective as a community organization, you know, how were we pivoting and how did you envision, like, what we needed to do as the pandemic started unfolding? That's a great question too. Um, You know, we didn't really have a roadmap, if you remember, because uh, that March we had started to do like our formal incorporation where we became a C3, um, which has its own challenges. Like that application is really pressing. Um, But we finally made it. And just as we got the go ahead to, to start accepting tax deductible donations, all events were canceled and the whole world just paused. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So we had to figure out what we were going to do next. And it's not like we had a game plan for this situation. We were still trying to figure out how and what and who in a normal situation. Um, So it was a little bit of a a game changer for us. But I think we pivoted really well and really proved our our worth quite a bit. Um, And that's, again, because of the amazing board that we have and the amazing volunteers who lean in and help. Um, We couldn't do any of that without everyone's help. And that's been so beautiful. Um, If there's one thing I'm really grateful for, it was the opportunity to see everybody at their best because it was really beautiful. (laughs) Um, From doing like the food boxes and people leaning in and going, can we help? You look shorthanded. Like that's amazing. Um, That's my love language actually. Um, And seeing people like, hey, I have donations. I can clean out my pantry. I can get people stuff. Or do you need some, do you need me to buy some diapers for people who don't have? We had a lot of women who were expecting and their baby showers got canceled and Mm -hmm. either they or their partner got laid off and they were suddenly freaking out about this baby that was about to come into the world. And so like our families group, to their great credit, Nicole and Adriana started spearheading an online version of freebies where they would do like a, you can email Adriana, she'll enter it in an Excel sheet, and we'll match up who's got what to who needs what. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we would do contactless drop-offs and pickups for months. Um, But we made sure to to pivot most of our programming and then add on things that were relevant to what was happening right then and there. So like the food drives were a thing we added on because we knew a lot of people were out of work and needed food immediately. Um, so we started dialing up anybody we could think of to get us food boxes, uh, clean out your pantry. You're sitting at home anyway. <laughs> Give us your cans of whatever you got. Um, we got a lot of donations. We did. And yeah. thank you. Um, we even, when the PPE was short, um, yours truly, along with like three or four other women with sewing machines, we got together and just cranked out masks and y'all gave us money for supplies. And that was wonderful. We were able to, I think we made like two or 300 masks and it was a lot like within a couple of weeks time. I mean, I was downstairs every night just sewing, but it was good because people got what they needed and it allowed us to all bond while we couldn't have events and we couldn't get to know you face to face and we couldn't have those one-on-ones. Now we're bonding in this different way where we're in this like emergency crisis mindset. Um, and we've all been through the shit together. So now we're stronger. Um, and we know what this group is capable of. We know, um, we know what the neighborhood needs and we understand some of the factors that led up to those, those really pressing needs during the pandemic. And now we're really informed about what needs to happen going forward. Mm -hmm. You had never made a face mask before 2020. I had not. No. Or, or thought that you Mm -hmm. might need to. Mostly made pillowcases. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little square, super Mm -hmm. easy. We've been doing vaccinations for a while now. Yes. Um, we've had some vaccination events throughout the Southwest side, and we're really going to ramp that effort up, particularly in Garfield Ridge. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. Like, why is that our area of focus now? And uh, what do we have planned? Okay. So first of all, I'm very pro-vaccine. You'll hear that from me a lot. And it's because, you know, I have people in my family who are immunocompromised at the moment. Um you know, I have a very close relative who's going through chemotherapy and radiation, and so I am very, very vigilant about keeping my circle small, putting my mask on, washing my hands, keeping gloves on. You'll see me out in the field, but rarely without a mask. Um, and that's because I want to see my godmother. Um, I also have a daughter at home who's four and can't get the vaccine yet. And um, she's at daycare. She goes to daycare in Westlawn, and it's a wonderful facility. 
but they have to take those precautions too because none of those kids are old enough to get vaccinated and they are constantly mixing company. Over the summer this year, 2021, we've had a couple of COVID outbreaks and we've had to quarantine her. So I'm really, really particular about these vaccines and I'm sure I'm not the only one, although we do see a very vocal minority um, when we do these events. In fact, this last week we did one um, in a park for a movie night and somebody actually yelled out the window, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, there's, <laughs> always, some, there's always some guy. There's always some right? guy. There's always there's some, always guy. some guy. guy. Yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's a thing. It's fine. I was like, hey, get your vaccine, <laughs> you know, yeah. but whatever. Like, I'm not going to get upset about it, but it's definitely the kind of attitude that's preventing us from going back to normal, y'all, because yeah. our kids can't get vaccinated. We have to be the ones who do it to keep them safe. Um, and I'm out here as much as I can to let y'all know that because once school goes back and we're all indoors again, it's going to spike. And I hate to be, I hate to be a cynic. I really do. But in certain circles that I'm in, I'm hearing it a lot. And I, I tend to agree. Oh yeah. It's just going to go right back up again. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to happen to us. I've seen a lot of really wonderful people get very sick. Um, and I've, I've seen some wonderful people lose people that they love. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. um, I would never wish that on anyone. Yeah. And there's some people I really don't like. But I would never, ever wish this on them. Yeah. Ever. There, were, there was a great deal of loss in 2020 mm -hmm. that uh, I'm sure everybody has experienced at, at one level or another. And um, I know we all want to put COVID behind us. But, Desperately. But it's, it's not behind us. No. But if people get vaccinated, then we'll be a, a whole heck of a lot closer. Yeah, we have a great uh, we have a great opportunity here to to cut this thing down by quite a bit. Yeah, to stop it in its tracks. Um, but we can't do that unless every adult over twelve is vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Adult, quote unquote. Um, yeah, and that starts with us because there's people who can't, and our kids are the ones. Like, don't even tell me your kid isn't a germ machine. Come like November when they come home from school and the whole class has the flu. Mm -hmm. it, this is the same principle, y'all. You know, you get the flu shot, you get the COVID shot. It's just that simple. Yeah. Um, because we don't want to lose anyone else. Like, I just, I can't. I don't know about y'all, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier. Um, and you were kind of talking about uh, Facebook and social media. Boy. And yeah. <laughs> I know that the collective is very active on uh, social media in general, mm -hmm. um, you have a background in advertising, and I think the collective is uh, proof of that. <laughs> is well branded, thanks, thanks to you. Um, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, doing community organizing online mm -hmm. versus doing community organizing in person. How they overlap? How you want to have both going at the same time? And especially when you talk about vaccines you know so much misinformation oh gets spread online you can have a conversation with somebody in person and you may not come out of it uh, agreeing yeah but you can have a conversation so yeah just talk to me a little bit about you know online community organizing and offline community organizing okay um this is just my experience so other organizers might have a different way that they do things um and i'm still pretty new at this like i'm coming to it from the corporate world um, but I do have that background in marketing and particularly around social media and digital, anything digital. I build websites and things like that. So I've been doing this for a really long time and I've been doing it for large companies. And so one of the things that I would notice in my corporate job 
was, you know, just the willingness of people to tell you things online that they wouldn't say in a group in person. And so sometimes you get the real, real face to face and sometimes you get the real, real online. And it depends on who you're talking to and about what. Um, so context is always key. But I find that having a mix of both really helps you get to the, the story. And when I say the story, I mean the problem. Like, what is the problem that people are having? How can you help solve it? Well, you don't know how to solve it until you know exactly what is triggering the problem. And in order to do that, you have to talk to a lot of people who are familiar with the problem. And so what I would do is I would go in the neighborhood groups and I would see people complain about a thing. And I would say, well, look, why is it that way? Like, how come, how come that's always been like that? Well, I don't think anybody talks to, you know, general things. I don't think anybody talks about it. I think we all just complain about it. and Nobody knows who to talk to about it. Okay, so let's start there. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you learn in the corporate world too, is like you dig for that information, you ask people, you find out what the real problem is, and then you, you strategize a plan to fix it or you know, to get people aligned around fixing it. Now, I'm a fan of that latter one. I would rather not come in and be the problem solver. I can help lead people to a solution. Um, I can empower you. I can give you the tools that you need to do it. I can connect you with the right person to help you do it. But it shouldn't be a thing where like the collective replaces the alder people. It shouldn't be a thing where the collective replaces any sort of city government or state government. And I want to make that really clear because I think once a group gets some kind of traction online, everybody tends to just tag that group and stuff like, oh, come fix this. That's not really what the collective's about. We're not collecting taxes from anybody. No, in fact, we're not collecting anything, and yeah. that's part of a problem too. Like, yeah. We're we're self-funded mostly, um, and up until this year, we were completely self-funded. So, I actually invested a lot of money in building the collective at the beginning, and since then, you know, we've been collecting donations through fundraisers, and we're a C three, so that helps to you know shake the tree a little bit. But we've never had anything really big. Um, and now we're able to apply for grants and that helps, but we're still, we're not the government and we're not a replacement for like the three one ones and the aldermans of the world. And we don't want to do that. What we want to do is teach you how to feel confident enough to call your alder person and say, Hey, I need some help here or feel confident enough that when you call three one one, you know exactly what to do to get to that next step. Yeah. FYI, that's ask for the SR number and then follow up with your alder person with that SR number. Um, but it's stuff like that, that you know, isn't really well publicized in the city. Um, there's not like any place where you can go, like the website, yeah, you can go there, but it's not super well organized and you kind of have to like fish for information on city websites. So it's hard to even know when the movies in the park are happening, for example. Like we did one at Wentworth Park last week and everybody's like, I didn't even know there was a movie. Well, mm -hmm. they don't promote it. They don't spread the word, you know? You were telling people on the sidewalk. I was telling people on the sidewalk and they were like, wait, there's a movie? And it's they like- Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's Jurassic yeah. Park. How'd you not know? Well, I didn't know where to look. Well, you know, if, you're, if your main place that you're looking is on Facebook, you're not gonna find it there because the city departments don't really advertise on Facebook. They mm. put it on their website, which you have to dig like three pages down to find. And if if we want this community center, if we want some type of resource in our neighborhood, mm -hmm. or if we want a voice in, you know, what's being built and how city resources are being directed, whether it's schools or wherever else, like that, we have to go through the city, we have to yeah. go through the state, we have to go through entities that have that money, but we want to be able to have say and we want everybody in the community to have say. I want to take it all the way back to, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning root causes, yeah. addressing root causes. 
um, to problems that you see in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So what are those root causes? How do you address them? And what's your vision for the collective in the next few years? Giving me questions today, <laughs> huh? Um, it's a big question. Okay, so there's a couple parts to this question. First, what are some of the root causes, right? Yeah, what are, what are the root causes? Okay. How do you address those? I think some of the root causes are just the fact that there's not a lot of access around here. Like, let's talk about COVID testing. That's a great example, right? Like, mm -hmm. last fall, mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues we had was that you couldn't find a freaking place to get a COVID test for months on end. It was like, where is there COVID testing? Where can I get one? Where can I get one for free? Because I haven't been working yeah. and I want to go back to work, but I can't without a COVID test that says negative. So it, it became this chicken and egg situation of like, well, I can't do anything without this COVID test, but I can't find the COVID test. So we started uh, getting hooked up with some folks at uh, CORE. Um, our friend Miguel was working there at the time. He's at Esperanza now. Uh, but he helped us bring a COVID testing site to the Midway area. Um, and along with Alderman Rodriguez, we were able to um, quickly put together a site. And when I say we, I mean mostly them. I was just sounding off about the necessity of having one in the area. Um, but they ended up putting one at 55th Street, which is still there, FYI. They're open every other day. So it's like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. They're open from 12 until about 8, I think. Uh, and it's at 55th and Massasoit, right by the uh, airport. Mm -hmm. um, but before we had that, we didn't have anything. And it was just, they would pop up wherever somebody would host them. Mm -hmm. And we hosted a couple of them. Um, but that too is hard to do because you have to clear the entire parking lot. You have to make sure there's X amount of space so that everybody is six feet apart. And mm -hmm. when you have a lack of public space, you have a lack of spaces to give people a COVID test or a vaccine. Yeah. Um, so when we say root cause of all of that dominoing stuff, we mean the root, the root cause is the lack of space the lack of access to public space. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a great example of what we're trying to get at with the collective is not just, oh, here's the immediate problem that I need help with right now. But like what is causing that problem and how do we cut that off and fix that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think having a dedicated COVID testing site was really good too, because we would see you know, um, these, these pop-up testing oh, sites. Oh, like a thousand at one point? And you would hear about them, like, the, the on a Sunday night or something uh, yeah. for the coming week. I and would always get the email at, like, 11 o'clock on Sunday night and just post it as soon as I got it yeah. to all the neighborhood groups, like, go get your test. But that, but that doesn't work with people's schedules. So if they no. know something's going to be there every Tuesday, Thursday, or whatever it is, exactly, they can... Well, and the other, the other big thing with organizing, just to go back a little bit, to organizing with social media, like, I'm always battling the algorithm. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I've noticed recently since Facebook and Instagram have made some updates, people aren't seeing our posts anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know how to fix it. I have no idea what this algorithm is doing. So I'm posting in the neighborhood groups in the hopes that you'll see that, because I'm pretty sure you won't see it on our page. Yeah. Um, and it's not really loosening stuff up in a decent amount of time either, like, I'll see the posts in my feed that I've posted two days later. So I have no idea who's seeing what and when. I'm getting a lot of um, inbox messages to the collective page that's like, I wish I would have seen this sooner. And it's like, mm -hmm. I literally have mm -hmm. no control over that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's a little bit of needing to do it in person um, and a little bit of needing to do it on social media, but also just asking people, when you see something regarding vaccinations or testing, please share it. Yeah. Please share it so that everybody's on the same page and they know where it's at because we can only reach you so much. Um, but yeah. please just share it when you see it. 
So should we break up Facebook? Is Facebook a monopoly? It's becoming a social <laughs> monopoly. Yeah. Which is why we started a TikTok. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are on TikTok. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. Last thing. Okay. Um, did I answer all of your questions? You did answer all of my questions. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we're coming up on year three. Yeah. It's going to be year three next spring. That's wild. Um, looking forward, looking ahead. Mm -hmm. What's your vision for the collective? Where do you want us to be? Where do you want us to be going? My hope is that the collective can start hiring people from the community um, to do some of this work as a job. Um, my intention is to maybe have a job with it as well, um, to be able to see this work through for another year or two. But my intention is not to stay with the collective forever. Eventually, I'd like to pass it to somebody else because, like I say, this is a diverse neighborhood with lots of perspectives that need to be seen and heard. Um, so my intention is to not always be in charge of the collective. My intention is to eventually pass it down. And just to be clear, you have had a job with the collective. <laughs> yes, but it's unpaid. You've had an, <laughs> yes, an unpaid job paid. with the collective. I need to be paid. Um, so. that's the bottom line. Uh, as we come out of the pandemic, as I come off unemployment, yeah, I need to figure out my own life. So at some point I am going to have to hand the reins over and I've designed it with that in mind from the beginning that... I would do it for a little while, get it started. I invested the seed money. Now somebody else can take it over and take it in the direction it needs to go for the next generation. Everybody in Southwest Side. Mm -hmm. Collective. Yeah. Right. Everybody owns a piece of it. Mm -hmm. And you can own as much of it as you want, but you got to do the sweat work. That's the thing. All right. Sounds good. Phew. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. All thank right. you for having me. It's a little strange to be interviewed by your husband. All right, so we just finished up listening to episode two of Southwest Side Stories, um, and I thought it was great, but I am obviously biased. Um, so, Jose, what did you think? Oh, I thought it was great, uh, which got uh, covered the the which got major milestones of you know the collective, um, you know from the food drives, you know to uh, the now um, the libraries and also the vaccines. Um, I had to appreciate how you guys kind of closed out on a lot of people in the neighborhood sometimes see the collective as uh, an extension of like the, the local uh, government just because you guys fill in so many civic gaps, but um, definitely not the case, you know, running under just the capacity of uh, just the people involved. Yeah, that, that is definitely true. Um, I remember last winter when we were doing the food share program at the United Credit Union parking lot where we were distributing food boxes and sometimes meals. Um, you know, Jamie made a point of saying that uh, it's good that we're able to do this. Um, we're serving the people that we can, but what we really need is for, you know, local governments and state governments and national governments to step up so these problems uh, aren't as acute as they are. Um, but I've, personally seen, you know, Jamie just put a, a great deal of dedication into building the collective over the last two years, and especially since COVID hit. Um, and so I think it's great to be able to, to share that story. Um, and obviously, it's it's an ongoing story. We've got a lot going on, We've got a vaccination effort that we're going to be putting into full effect over the summer and fall. And, um, you know, 
the project of trying to build a stronger and safer and better community continues.